playing the biggest rock bands of all time. Dirty Radio Classics. Coming up next, it's this, that, and the other. This, that, and the other. You can say no to this, but I wanted to see if you would be willing to talk to this guy. You want me to talk to him as Gene and Paul? Yeah. Uh, and what is it that he wrote about Motley Crue? Oh, just something about, hey, Vince, I'm a big fan. Give me a call. So I called, and and it went straight to voicemail, and his mailbox was full, so I couldn't leave a message. So he proceeded to call me days later and left messages insisting it's Gene and Paul. I have no idea why, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have Craig Gass on the air uh, in a couple weeks. I wonder if he'd be down for this. But you can say no. I don't, you know, if you're not down for it, it's all good. Rod, I have a very important message for you. Okay, this is from me, this is from Paul Stanley, it's from everyone who's ever performed for KISS, including Vinny. And this message is exclusively for you, but it'll cost you. You need to go to kissonline.com and click on my card piece. And once the payment is approved, we're going to get you that message. Okay, Todd? How much will it cost, Gene? All right, let's call uh, Craig Gass. Get him on the air right now. He thought we were doing Zoom. We are not doing Zoom. Let's do this. Craig Gass, I got his phone number. Hello? Craig Gass, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? Hey, not bad. Hey, so we are live here on uh, my little radio show here, this, that, and the other radio show at Dirty Radio FM, Channel Two, Dirty Radio Classics. Welcome to the fold, my friend. I'm excited to be here, and I can curse, right? You absolutely can, yeah, for sure. Sweet. Let's see how long I can go without. <laughs> so, what are you doing in in Portland? You've got a lot going on. The reason why we have you on was you're like, hey, I'm coming to Vegas. I'm doing some stuff at Jimmy Kimmel's place. And uh, we'll talk about that stuff then. But you've had a lot going on, not only uh, a recent appearance on on Howard Stern last week, um, and you're a regular there. Uh, you also did some Kiss-themed, in honor of them sort of disappearing in the human form and going to avatars, you did these Kiss-themed shows and specials. And then you've got a special you're filming, I believe, coming up in the next couple days in Tucson. And uh, and then, of course, you'll be here uh, later on in this month in Vegas. So let's tackle some of that stuff. What are you up to? We've just gotten into the new year, and you are busy. I'm putting out two comedy specials this year. The first one is just the entire show is making fun of Kiss. The whole thing is it's just an hour of just jokes about Kiss. With love, I'm a fan. So um, uh, I'm a huge Kiss fan, obviously. And, and um, But the entire hour is jokes about kiss and we filmed a couple of shows in new york city and the one that came out the best is the one that sebastian bach happens to be a, a considerable part of he's he's like he makes up almost a third of the show because he was in the audience he was laughing so hard that we started talking to each other during the show so sebastian is a is a is a big part of the show but um a lot of other musicians came out to see the shows as well but um, that comedy special will come out in a few months. That's all about Kiss. And then on March 8th and 9th, I'm filming a comedy special in Tucson. 
that's much more personal. Uh, it's broader. It's it's you know it's it's more of a traditional comedy set, and um, and uh, both of them are coming out this year. And then I'm back on the Howard Stern show for the first time in 20 years, which is crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Wow, that that's amazing. So you got a lot a uh, lot of uh, coal in the fire, as they say, which is super awesome. Um, do you anticipate doing any more of these sort of live kiss themed shows, or just for the special? And you'll put that out and let that just uh, marinate out there. I think that's it. I'm just going to put it out there and just you know, the target audience is uh, is just kiss fans. I think musicians in general will get a kick out of it. Um, but I've been it's weird how doing stuff about all these run-ins I've had with Gene Simmons over the years has connected with people regardless of what their background or what their age is. Like people understand on some level what Gene Simmons is all about. And so, but doing this, it just dawned on me that first it started out as kiss is going to wrap up and the shows are about to come to an end. And I wanted to do a couple of shows in New York to uh, just kind of celebrate with other KISS fans. I've made such great friends with other KISS fans over the years by doing shows with KISS. And and then I realized after that strong reaction, I had musician friends of mine in Seattle who were like, well, why don't you do a show here? And so I booked a show in Seattle. And then I had friends in Austin who were like, oh, you should do a show here. So I just I ended up doing a couple of these shows where the night before KISS performed, I would do a full-blown comedy show about KISS. It's essentially what I do on the KISS cruise. When I go on the KISS cruise, I have two separate one-hour shows that's all about KISS and all my run-ins with them over the years, which, you know, and we've all had them, you know. It's uh, anyone who's remotely close to that band, like, haven't you had some uh, interactions with Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons? No, only from afar, but being a fan and growing up in my garage at the age of 11, 12 years old, you know, replicating a Kiss concert, obviously, uh, you know, those guys are almost like, you know, uh, long-lost uncles, you know, and you know their personality. And I think for the fact that you tapped into making fun of them and now, you know, being a part of their circle, and it says a lot about them. Um, I, I kind of feel like Gene has a bigger sense of humor about it. It laughs a lot more because we spun a little bit before you came on uh, the roast of Gene Simmons, and you can hear him. He's like gut laughing. He finds it hilarious. Is Paul a little bit more serious about it? Or does he pretend? Paul to loves it. Paul loves it when I specifically make fun of Gene. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul, like most people, Paul does not like my impression of him, and that is that is. And I totally get that because you know the first time you hear your own voice on a recording, it's very jarring. It's yeah. like, is that what I sound like? Because that is not what you think you sound like. And then to have someone say, oh, I'm going to mimic you now. I'm going to do an impression of you, Troy. And it doesn't connect with you. You're like, what is that? And then other people laugh about it. That's very disturbing to you. Well, uh, when other people laugh at something that you do not understand at all, you know? Yeah, well, you know, to me, an impression is sort of, you know, you're obviously uh, exaggerating certain nuances about the person, you know? So they're there, and then you just sort of exaggerate them a little bit. But wh when you go and start... You see somebody that's got something like, hey, I, you know, there's there's material here with this person. I mean, obviously, Kiss brings a lot of material with their decades of 
weirdness selling coffins and selling, you know, you know, ice to Eskimos, all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of material there in addition to the uh, impression. When you tackle an impression, what do you, what do you pick apart about it to, you know, say, Hey, I'm going to accentuate this a little bit because those are the, these are the marks that people will pick up on because, you know, you can do an impression, not even say who it is. And all of us are like, Oh, that's, you know, we know exactly who that is. That's Sam Kinison or, you know, walk in or, you know, so what do you, what do you hit on when you, when you start doing a a new impression? Well, it's weird. I don't even try to do it. It usually just gets stuck in my head. And I'm such a fan of kiss that I just naturally started talking. like. (laughs) (laughs) And then, by the way, I got to back up a little bit and explain, you know, my, you know, my background, right? I do. And I have some questions about that. I'm I'm real curious about that, but yeah, yeah, you know, say it from, from your voice about how you actually started doing impressions, uh, as a young kid. So my whole family is deaf, which sounds like a joke, but it's not. My mom, my dad, my sister are all completely deaf. So growing up in a deaf family, I couldn't learn how to talk from my family. I learned how to talk by watching TV and copying all the voices I heard on TV. So I was always able to mimic any voice that I heard. And, and the weirder the voice, the easier it is for me to do it. And I grew up becoming a huge, huge, huge rock music fan. Um, and just, uh, anybody who had an unusual voice, just, it would just get stuck in my head and, and Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons in particular were always such unique people. Um, and their personalities were so funny. You know, you point out that Gene laughs a lot. Um, his kid, uh, one of his kids, Nick will come to the comedy store all the time. And he's pointed out to me that, uh, He's, he'll tell me, like, dude, my dad started to get a sense of humor, like, right before you kind of showed up on the scene doing that impression of him. Like, if if, if you had even a couple years earlier attempted to do that kind of material about my dad, like, no bullshit, he would have just hunted you out down and just beat the shit out of you. He just, he had no fear about him. But, like, right when you started doing that impression of him, he started to laugh at himself and started to, like, uh, poke fun at himself, and 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 then you showed up, and, and, yeah, I mean, dude, that first time that Gene and I had a confrontation on the air on the Howard Stern show, um, I was headlining Caroline's for the first time that night, and uh, someone told Gene, hey, you know, this is a big day for Craig, because he's headlining Caroline's, which is a big deal for comedians, yeah, you know, the first yeah. time you headline Caroline's in Times Square, and it's a big club, and... And so Gene asked for my phone number and someone fucking gave it to him. And I still have that voicemail. And that voicemail started an inside joke that KISS fans repeat to me all the time. On my voicemail, Gene actually said, Boop. Hi, Craig, this is Gene Simmons <laughs> from KISS. He actually said, from KISS on my voicemail. <laughs> Like, I'm, like I'm going to confuse you with Gene Simmons from Pet Boys. Like, I know who the fuck this is. Like, right. Gene Simmons from Kiss. I want you to know, I know that you're headlining Caroline's Common Club. I know this is a big deal. And I want you to know that Kiss Army is behind <laughs> you. And I support you. That's why I'm going to be in the front row. And Gene Simmons showed up. And he brought, like, five, six women with him. He sat in the front row. And when I started to get into my material about Kiss... Gene just leaned back, turned around, looked at the audience, and just went, he's talking about me. <laughs> and he loved it. 
And then, by the way, he invited me to a strip club later that night. I had two buddies of mine with me who were huge Kiss fans, and they said that uh, Gene said, yeah, you can bring your friends if you want. We go to the strip club where we get escorted back into a, a back room, and there's a couple of couches in this back room. And <laughs> I'll paint the theme for you. It's Gene Simmons is on one couch, literally covered in strippers. There's just strippers all over him. Me and my two buddies are on the other couch just <laughs> cheering him on and going, Yay! Go, Gene! Like it, was, it was absurd. And uh, um, he tried to do me a solid by saying, Hold on, hold on. And he, and he, he could see that I was like kind of on the outset of this incredible scene here. And he goes, uh, Ladies, can I ask you a question? Do you like stand-up comedy? You do. Great, because this this man right here, this very powerful and attractive man, is the gentleman who does the impression of me. Isn't that something? And all the stripper, all the strippers looked at me, and I went, "What's going on?" Yeah. And they all went, they all just went, "Nothing." And I was like, "Oh no, you're right. No, no, that's right. No, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know." And uh, yeah, just shot down by the strippers who could not give less of a shit about me from Gene Simmons. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been crazy to do impressions of people that eventually try to track you down because they want to hear the impressions themselves. But, um, but, yeah, it's weird. Growing up in a deaf family, that, that's what led to me learning how to do voices and, and over the years doing uh, Family Guy, American Dad, uh, Howard, you know, it's like these shows will just give me homework assignments and say, "Hey, learn this voice, and let's let's go on the air with it soon." No, so. it's it, it's great. Let me ask you about the dynamic with with your family, uh, and you, you know, picking up stuff on your own just from TV and and uh, the nuances of of different stars and the guys in Kiss and different actors. Um, can can you fully? I, I probably think I know the. I would assume so, but I, can you fully sign? Because this way you can communicate with your family. Yeah, it's my signing is awful. I um, when I was a kid, my mom wouldn't correct me. Okay. When I was a kid, and she knew what I was trying to say. My sister still to this day will not only correct me, but she'll send me videos like, "Hey, here's a little thing about brushing up on sign language," and I'll be like, oh, "Come on, man, you know what I'm saying." No, I don't need to watch this, but she so always like try to push me in that direction. But the problem was that my mom never corrected me. She knew what I meant to say when I was growing up. And whenever her friends would come over to visit, as I was growing up, I would notice that when I would try to join the conversation, her friends would just kind of go, what? and they'd look at her and they'd go, what, what, what is he signing? And she'd go, I know, but it's so cute. He, my little moron kid, he's so stupid. <laughs> and like, you know, she loved it. She was adorable. So, I will still help out deaf people anywhere I see deaf people having a communication problem ah. if they're in some kind of distress. Cool. But I make that situation slow way the fuck down because I will spell almost everything out and it drives deaf people crazy. Yeah, but, because they figure if they're if this is how they communicate their entire life, they find, just like we do, we find slang and shortcuts and... And so they, they find those same, I mean, is that, is that fair to say they find the same shortcuts in the English language to, to kind of you're, you're, the yeah, you're, Yes, you're tapping into something huge. I'm always pointing out to people uh, learning how to do voices and stuff that a 
all of us have learned how to do voices. We've all learned how to blend in to our neighborhood, in our town, where, whatever that fucked up uh, accent is, because we all use our ears to adjust to our surroundings and, and we pick up all the little nuances so we can fit right in. And deaf people, they can't do that. They, they don't hear anything at all, so they just uh, let sounds come out of their mouth and they don't know how to adjust their tone at all because they can't hear the yeah, person next yeah. to them put in. And it's, and it's as, it's, it's so meticulous that it's down to, I always noticed as a kid that if you've ever called up your best friend that you grew up with and somebody picks up the phone at that house and it could be a person of the opposite sex, but you'll think it's, it might be your best friend because everyone has learned how to pick up the phone in that house and go, Mello. Like those little nuances that you pick up yeah. um, along the way. So, and without anyone being able to talk in my family, I had to open my, my palate was, was open and I learned, I just watched TV and I copied everything I heard on TV. Wow. Interesting. Um, what, I mean, what was it like growing up in, in a household? I mean, you know, you're a kid, so you don't know really any different, you know, so you just kind of, right. but I mean, but you've, you know, your friends have, you know, fan, you know, and you know that people speak and can hear and all that stuff. What was the, I mean, was there any adjustment for you or was it just like, well, this is the house I was raised in. So this is what I was raised in. Cause I would find that, that scene, you know, cause I'm thinking about if I lived in a house where I was the only one that could hear uh, and I can hear music and the TV and the rest of your family couldn't, what was that dynamic like? Cause I feel like that would be really interesting well you hit it off in the first sentence when you said that you, you don't know any different like when people would say to me like wow you grew up in a deaf family like that must have been so weird and it's like no because the way you grow up is the way you grow up yeah. you don't you don't know that it's any different than anybody else i mean i knew that other people's families uh had their hearing but uh it wasn't one of the biggest misconceptions about going up in a deaf family is there are people who think that it must have been really quiet. It is far and away the loudest home in the neighborhood. Oh, oh yeah. Person from. Because, <laughs> yeah. My, in fact, I had a big issue about this a, a few weeks ago going to visit my sister. She was like, oh, you know what? When you get here, this the, the spare room is is uh, got a bunch of stuff in it. You can just sleep in the living room. And I said, I'm not, I'm, I'll get a hotel. I'm not going to sleep in the living room of a deaf person's house because concept of being quiet like slamming the cupboards slamming the doors yelling at the dogs like they don't they don't have any concept of it and oh, also wow. i'm able to crank my stereo up i can i could when i was growing up i could crank the tv crank i could curse like yeah i was a, a really um odd kid that um for a lot of different reasons but but uh but cursing in front of my parents is is in front of my mom. They got divorced when I was a kid, but but cursing in front of my mom really threw my friends. Like, dude, what the fuck? You know. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I so. bet. Have, have there ever been any uh, deaf comedians that can sign a comedy show? I, I I'm just kind of wondering, you know, because I was thinking about you being in that household where everybody's deaf, so you learn uh, a little bit on how to sign. But you're a comedian. You're obviously the impressions wouldn't necessarily translate. But can, can you? Are there are there any comedians out there that tell jokes to deaf people? Yeah, there's my my sister's always like sending me stuff from time to time of like, hey, have you heard of this guy? I heard of this guy, and I, I know there's a whole scene of of people out there, uh, comedians, entertainers who uh, 
who entertain who their audience is the deaf community and and um uh and yeah they're out there and i i know of a couple comedians who are deaf and do stand up um and uh yeah it's it's they're, they're definitely out there you know and i occasionally will have a deaf person reach out to me and say hey i want to come to your show and i'll i'll get an interpreter it's um Usually state law in almost every state that I'm aware of uh, is uh, they require that if a deaf person is attending an event, the, the venue has to hire a uh, interpreter to to uh, perform for the show. So I always get the interpreters to, to come out and if they don't cover it, I'll cover it. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, but there is also a different culture for deaf people that the, the jokes are different um, the, the sense of humor is a little bit different. Yeah. There's some nuances. There's nuances that we use just with our tone of voice and the way we bend a word that that adds to the way we are communicating with each other that deaf people might not pick up on. You know, um, a subtlety, and that's it's. But it's also how, like, if I am talking to you, I can tell you with my voice how happy or angry I was about a situation. Like, dude, fucking walked in. Yeah. Like. 200 fucking chocolate chip cookies. It was the greatest thing I ever saw. Yeah. You know, but a, a deaf person can't do it with their voice. They got to do it with their body language, with their expression and, and find it and just be super expressive. Like, Oh my God, you know? And uh, so that's why, you know, deaf people are very expressive. They have to be to, to communicate the emotion that's coming with that, um, that thought they're trying to get across. Now, this is like an intensely in the woods, like in the weeds kind of conversation about, about all of that, uh, I'm enjoying it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I, and I just started thinking about the dynamics. And uh, by the way, uh, we're on with uh, Craig Gass, comedian, impressionist, actor, and uh, Howard Stern, contributor uh, from uh, Portland. You're up in Portland right now, yeah? This week I'm in Portland, Oregon, um, performing in Yakima at the Seasons Performance Hall on Friday. And then I'm at Boston Nova Ballroom here in Portland where mm. I'm doing press this week on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of rock bands. It's cool doing shows where my favorite musicians are all performing at. Like, I, I saw that uh, we just put tickets on sale for a show that I'm doing with Don Jameson in Green Bay, Wisconsin at the Epic Event Yeah, Center. yeah. I saw Good people over there. The, yeah, the week before us, uh, Mr. Big is there. The week after us, Skid Row and Buck Cherry are there. And I'm like, oh, man. It's just, I'm just, I'm stoked to be getting to some of these places. Uh, I think Tesla's there like two weeks before I get there. Um, yeah, it's it's a neat thing to be sharing the stage with your favorite artists, you know? Yeah, well, you've actually done that. That's a nice little segue there because you've opened up. From what I understand, you're the, you're the first one to ever open for Metallica as a comedian. And you've done yes. Motley and... Uh, bunch of other bands i mean well kiss have you i mean you've done the kiss cruises so you're doing full-on sets there but um what why does your show it because i don't think every show necessarily translates to an opening spot for a big band like you know dice recently was in new york and went up and did a little impromptu 20 minute set before gnr what is that like opening up you know, for a huge rock band, not only that, you know, 20,000 people are there to see, but also you're a huge fan of, how do you tackle that crowd? Because they're there to rock their faces off, you know, not hear jokes. Guys, guys like Don Jameson and I are always talking about this. It's the worst 
Nobody's ever ever done well. It fucking sucks. The crowd hates you. Um, no matter who you are, uh, it 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 had the audience is just not receptive. It seems that they're becoming more warm to the idea of it, which is why I do the most pussy thing in the world. I will go on stage, and this happened when I opened for Metallica back in two thousand and one. I will, <laughs> Lars had this whole thing, this idea of like, he wanted to promote that I was going to be opening for Metallica when they got to New York. And so he was on the air at K-Rock and saying, hey man, so we got a good friend of yours that's going to come down and he's going to open for, for Metallica, your good friend, Craig Gass. And like, I texted him and said, dude, don't, don't tell people I want to do the show. And he's like, dude, what the fuck? And he called me during commercial break, and he said, dude, what the fuck? What are you scared of? And I said, if the audience knows that a comedian is coming down, they might judge me before I even walk out there. So I don't want people to know that I'm opening for you guys. And he said, dude, you're overthinking it. It's just fucking, it's rock and roll, man. And I said, it's not rock and roll for me. It's, it's stand-up, that's, that's the whole point I'm trying to tell you. And he said, dude, how about this? I'll just, I'll walk out on stage. And I'll say, hey, uh, Metallica's about to come out here and kick your ass in about 15, 20 minutes. But first, we're going to bring out a good friend of ours who's going to tell you some jokes. And I was like, are you fucking crazy? That's the worst intro I've ever heard of. You're in a venue, and the drummer Metallica walks out, and you're like, fuck yeah. And he goes, hey, man, I'm going to bring a friend of mine who's going to tell you some jokes. It's like, fuck yeah. Like, so... He said, dude, what do you want me to do? I said, don't do anything. Don't give me an introduction. Nothing. Just let me walk on stage with a microphone. And I had this idea, and it came out of fear. And I've repeated it many times since then, opening for Motley Crue, opening for System of the Down, where there was actually incredible reviews from music critics when I opened for System of the Down in Toronto, opening for Corey Taylor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is um, I walked on stage, and I said, good evening. My name is Craig Gass, and I am Metallica's tour manager. And everyone went, <laughs> yeah. And I said, the band has some very important announcements. And I just made up a bunch of super cool shit that was not true. <laughs> and it made people cheer. And then I would put in jokes after the announcements. And then I remember one of the announcements was, you may have heard some rumors. And it is true. Metallica is recording our first ever live album right here tonight. <sighs> yeah, so yeah. I need your attention. <laughs> I need your attention. There's a proper way to yell on a live album. So we need to rehearse this. <laughs> and they followed every stupid instruction I gave them. It was just, um, it was, I mean, in fact, there's video of me doing that on an arena stage opening for Motley on youtube if you google my name motley you can see that i'm not only am i lying to the audience a friend of mine is filming me with a camera phone so i make a, a bullshit announcement and everyone goes yeah and then i cover the mic and i look at the camera phone and i go dude they're fucking buying it that's right we're doing it tonight <laughs> i'm pulling a total donald trump i'm just saying what people want to hear and they're fucking cheering and they're like, it's total bullshit and it's it's insane that you could get away with that and just telling people what they want to hear. It was, it was fucking amazing. But that's how I open for bands is doing that. 
That's brilliant. But but yeah, I mean, you know, you're kind of out there thrown to the wolves and you can't just go up there and do, you know, knock knock jokes or something. So and, and the cool exactly. thing is Exactly right. I mean exactly. <laughs> that's crazy, man. That's crazy. Um, so you just come out and you just dovetail into the energy of the room. You talk about the show, get excited for the show, and I just expanded on it and expanded on it and expanded on it uh, over the years and just gotten people fired up for it. And it turns into the ultimate warm-up act because it's me going out on stage and just saying this is going to be a great evening and you know we're going to record i mean dude i did a whole tour with allison chains doing that i did allison chains brought me out for an entire tour and they're the only band to this point that have brought me out for an entire tour and i would do that every night saying you know let's uh you know sing along to every show and or every song and i would get people to in the front row, what's your favorite Alice in Chains song? All right, let's sing it right now. I get the whole crowd to sing along. And and then at the very end of the set, like, I'm actually a comedian. My name's Craig Ass. Good night. And but they won't necessarily catch that part at the end. And it's funny how I remember doing some shows with the Struts recently. And I remember one of the guys in the Struts telling me that while I was on stage, they were getting text messages going, dude, your tour manager is fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> guys, shit you know it was amazing absolutely amazing it's kind of cool because you're kind of a hype man nobody really knows what's going on you're throwing some things in there you're getting the crowd ready for and and i can tell you the bands that you're out there you know getting them wild for are not like mellow acts like these are these these people will rip your arms off if you know what i mean if something goes south these are heavy bands you're opening up for so absolutely and by by the way yeah i just did my first arena tour last year opening for Russell Peters doing, we did uh, arena dates together across Australia and New Zealand. And I got nervous. I was so scared getting on an arena stage again. And then as soon as I get out there and I make the first joke, I realize, Oh my God, like it just, it didn't even dawn on me that my fear was so different opening for Metallica and system of down. And then I walk out on an arena stage opening for Russell. And I'm like, wait a minute, nobody here is on Coke. Right. Like nobody's on, nobody's on coke. Nobody's like completely shit faced. Like no one's gonna get violent. It's it's a mellow. It's just a bunch of people sitting and wanting to hear some comedy. Like holy shit, that was so refreshing. That was so so refreshing. Well, plus, so, plus you're you're more in your backyard instead of somebody else's backyard. You know, so you can kind of kind of do your own thing. You're on your own turf there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let me ask you about impressions and AI because impressions are, are you know, somebody mimicking and doing an impersonation of, of somebody else. And AI is impersonating, well, everything these days. And, uh, you know, recently this George Carlin AI special came out where uh, they put together, you know, a, a montage of current topics with an impersonator feeding the voice and then somehow scripting it and putting together this special, you know, I, I checked out a little bit of it and I, you know, I mean, I'm naturally, you know, going to be very critical cause I'm a huge Carlin fan. I'm like, Oh, that, that's, that doesn't sound like George Carlin. Then I found a clip and I heard it for the first time when I played it on the air before he came on. And it was something about social media and, you know, kind of like where they're dangling the carrot here, look over here while the government and other, you know, and it's very on point with his sense and type of humor and his message but I, I just, like, is it, I mean, do we need that? Is it fearful? Because it's sort of kind of doing what you do, but you're going up there with, what are your thoughts of an impersonator and AI, and how are they the same, and how are they different? Because I feel like they're kind of the same, but 
not. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'd rather have an impersonator, a person, human, than somebody feeding something to a computer and kind of doing what you do. I think there's an audience for it, but uh, it's going to be limited because, I mean, I, I, I saw it when it was out. Somebody tweeted it at me when it first was released, and then I sent it to Howard. And then Howard and I ended up talking about it the next day on the air during the show. And um, I think that uh, the voice doesn't sound that much like George. Um, and some of it I went, like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know. But some of it I thought, I don't think George would do that. Like, it was, uh, there's a whole big anti-cop thing in there that was way too liberal for George. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I thought, you know, George growing up Irish Catholic around a bunch of Irish Catholic cops who were just, uh, you know, neighborhood cops who were, for being flawed, they were still, you know, uh, guys who were neighborhood guys that he had an affection for. I can't see him being that anti-cop, but what was also interesting about him was uh, how, I don't know if you know that I had a relationship with him, but he was my mentor, um, and uh, which <laughs> led to me, this is a really creepy confession, but I love George so much that I saved all of his answering machine messages that he left me over the years because um, they were so funny and they were so George. Yeah. And this is back when answering machine messages were odd cassette tapes and I would, I would save the messages he left me and, and, and uh, transfer them over uh, in digital form. And, and uh, George, um, I had this one awkward moment where, and this makes me cringe to think about later because I was only doing comedy for about a year when I made, when I did this. My friend Shelly is, uh, made a comment to me and she said, you know, his, his HBO special had just come out uh, early 90s where he said, fuck the planet, the planet's fine. We think that a, that a couple of plastic bottles are going to save the planet. And he did this whole thing that was very anti-recycling. And Shelly said, hey, when, next time you talk to George, can you tell him I don't appreciate his anti-recycling bit because my friend Shelly's all about recycling. And again, this makes me cringe to this day to think about it. <laughs> But the next time I talked to George, I actually said, hey, my friend, my friend Shelly wanted me to tell you she doesn't like your recycling bit. And George told me, he said, well, you know, I, I actually recycle. And I said, you do? And he goes, yeah, it makes me feel good. You know, it just makes me feel good to help out, you know. And he said, even my garbage guy noticed it a couple weeks ago. And he said, hey, George, I didn't think you did this. And I said, well, every little bit helps, right? And he gave me this speech about how, uh, he said, I really, you know, I, I really love people when I meet people one-on-one, but it's when people start to form groups with an agenda uh-huh. that they get really fucking scary. And that's always stuck with me that he said that. And, um, um, and I think it's, that's more of what he was afraid of. And I think the whole anti-cop thing in that AI thing is more of a groupthink thing that I don't think George would have gone down the road of. Um, he was uh, uh, he was big on 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 shitting on groupthink that uh, 
that was going in the wrong direction. And it, that's just my opinion. I mean, but, um, um, but it, it, it's crazy. It does. We are heading towards a day when uh, Bill Hicks could put out a new special every day. George Carlin could put out a new special every day. Um, the, the law hasn't caught up with it yet. So, yeah, yeah. and it's going to be interesting because Kelly Carlin, George's daughter has expressed her grievance about it and is looking to, uh, uh, hit the people who are doing it. And, um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. But, but for impressions, I don't think it's going to change the fact that if some human being can stand on stage and sound like, uh, another human being and create funny content doing that, I don't think that'll ever take away from it'll it'll make a person even more unique that a, that a human being can do that without AI, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I just don't, you know you mentioned that you know AI could be producing so much so fast, you know. It, obviously having the capabilities, but I, I just, I, like, is it sustainable? Because I'm hearing the George Carlin AI thing, and I'm just like, man, it is just not the dude. It's not the guy. I get it's, like, in the spirit of it, and the voice kind of sounds like it, and it, it, you know, I just kind of feel like, and I've seen some of these, and you hear them, and you know, like, that's definitely not the guy. You know, I feel like it's not quite there yet, or, you know, is it, and they're throttling it back to avoid you know, crossing that line? Because at some point, that line's going to be crossed. I mean, we've already seen the deep fakes and all that weird stuff. And I know we're kind of going a little bit off on a tangent, but it is kind of relevant because this is the first time an AI comedy special has kind of come out with somebody that's legendary and a hero and probably would be way against this, in my opinion. I don't know him as well as you do, but uh, I kind of I feel like, you know, they poked a big bear here by launching this with him. Yeah, and I think that it's just uh, they took one legend, and whoever it was going to be, it was going to make a lot of noise. Yeah, and um, uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, I've heard some people go, "Wow, this is you know so George," and it is George-ish. But um, but it'll be interesting to see what what becomes of stuff like this. I've, I've been uh, approached at one point about. Um, helping to lend a voice to a, um, uh, what, what is that technology the, where they digitally um, uh, can cast somebody on a stage? Uh, the, oh, uh, like the hologram? Holograms, yeah, the holograms. And uh, Sam Kinison's family has, uh, has talked to me about possibly, like we met with some hologram people in Beverly Hills, and holy shit, the technology was fucking nuts. Like the guy... Uh, gave us a little presentation of, uh, of the hologram technology. And, and the presentation started with where the hologram technology started years ago and where it was at the time. And this is at least seven, eight years ago. So it's got to be incredible by now. Yeah. When they showed the modern technology of what holograms look like right now, it was uh, an R a 50s R&B singer. And I... I felt like he was right in front of me. I couldn't believe I was looking at this thing. It didn't feel like a light. It felt like the person was right there. And um, so, I mean, I I personally love the idea of, uh, of having fun with something like that. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing, like, with Howard. You know, we have this whole idea right now about uh, having Kinnison back from the dead yeah. on the show. And what would it be like if, like, Sam Kinnison... If you try to explain what wokeness is to Sam Kinison and go, 
Yeah, I, I think I get it. I think that's, um, I, I guess I was woke because I've been doing cocaine since 1989. The idea is, is like, you could have fun with the idea, you know, but, yeah. but um, uh, rather than having an AI mind do it without the nuances of, uh, of a sense of humor uh, that, um, uh, as something specific to the human condition, uh, that you can have fun with it. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where it's going to take us. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is something that's, that's really starting to poke its dick right inside everybody now. So, right. well, you know, listen, and with the, uh, kiss avatar thing coming out, I mean, you know, Gene and Paul could definitely take you on loan. You can do, you know, the, the talking points in between the, in between the songs. I mean, it it all connects. It's all, it's like full circle. Um, uh, you know, when you, when you're doing these impressions, not only getting the, the voice and stuff like that, you, you gotta get like the material. So what, you know, what do you pick from, I mean, obviously Sam, you know, you can sort of, you know, kind of replicate his jokes, but make them a little bit more modern or whatever. Um, but when you're doing actors that aren't doing anything other than lines like Christopher Walken, you know, I, you gotta, you gotta give him some material. What do you tap into? to make it seem like not only are you hearing them, but you're like, God, I feel like he would say this. I think it's just some voices are so much fun. They can say anything with them, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, Christopher Walken. It's, I think it's better to step away from their lines and just take their voices because someone like Christopher Walken could say anything. It could sound so funny to have Christopher Walken saying, guys, when I bite into a York, a peppermint patty. I get a sensation. It's like little pygmies play with my ass. It's the best. <laughs> like you can say anything with that and have it. So it's great. It's, it's the whole idea of of taking someone's voice and bastardizing it and having fun with it. And if the voice sounds authentic, you can go in any direction and just make fun. Like in a few weeks, we're we're gonna. <laughs> We're going to bring back a character that was, it was the dumbest character I've ever come up with. 20 years ago, I came up with this character. and We're going to bring it back because it's so crazy that 20 years later, it's happened again. But Al Pacino, 20 years ago, had twins. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I pitched this idea of like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we could have one of the babies on the show and the baby sounds just like Al Pacino? And we it would just, it led to these absurd conversations well, how would we go, man, you're Al Pacino's baby. What do you like to do for fun? Oh, what do I like to do for fun? I like to pee. <laughs> I like to pee, and I love to suck titties. Hoo-ah. Like, it was just, it was absurd to hear Al Pacino's ba- uh, voice talking about baby stuff. It was just, it was absurd, you know? And so being able to take impressions of famous people and just put them in weird directions just or even exaggerate what they're doing you know i did an audition for saturday night live a couple years ago and they, they asked me to do like hey do you do any political impressions and and the only person in politics that i think is funny is uh alex jones because he's so out of his mind and, <laughs> yeah. and um and so um alex jones just has that voice uh, where he sounds like a, like a grizzly bear, but fucking a, a backpack. It's just like the, oh, you know, it's like, it's so overly masculine. And I just found it fascinating that 
that Alex Jones has this show, had a show on the internet where he would tell you, don't trust anyone. And then he'll try to sell you some vitamins and you'll be like, wait, what? <laughs> like, you know, and he'll, he'll do this too. Like, ladies and gentlemen, the government's lying to you. I know they're lying to you. They say there's over 200 bones in the human body. I've counted. There's only seven. <laughs> Anyways, I've got a new butt cream I want to tell you about. I know that Troy Patrick Farrell's been trying my butt cream, and it makes his butt uh, smell real nice. And uh, you can get it online right now. Um, I've been to New Jersey four times. There's nothing new in Jersey. Like, it's just um, <laughs> whatever. Whatever he wants to yell about, it's just, it's just funny. So I just, I love doing impressions. I love like hearing a good impression you know and um it's it's just fun it's fun to be able to do voices of of random people whether they be famous or not you know yeah are there any any uh new guys on the block that uh you you know you pay attention to you know i mean listen as a drummer i check out other drummers and you know musicians check each other out and stuff like that but uh, do you check out any of these other impressionists and uh do you ever you ever feel like they're getting into your territory or is there plenty of room for for everybody no, I, I think there's plenty of room for everybody. I, I um, it's interesting over the years uh, when I do shows uh, around the world, people will come up uh, who are going to open for me, and they'll say, sometimes they'll go, "Hey, uh, I do impressions too. Do you mind if I do them?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit." And they'll say, "Well, I, some of the ones I do are some of the same voices you do," mm. and I'll go, oh, "That's fine. Fine, do it, man. I mean, if you're if." If you're better than me, then you're going to push me to want to be better. Like, I, I really don't care. But um, there are some people out there who do impressions that are so flawless. A buddy of mine in, in Baltimore does a flawless Cedric the Entertainer. It's one of the greatest impressions I've ever heard in my life. I love hearing an impression that nobody else does, that nobody has thought to which is why it's fun for me to do Gene Sitz or Paul Stanley or Sam Kinison. Like, like, um, and I know that most people who do a Sam Kinison, they do the scream, but they don't, they don't, um, they don't consider this guy the voice of the guy that's going to make them want to call their sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love, I love hearing like all the nuances, like a full palette that covers all the 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 peaks and valleys of somebody's voice is always, is always fun. So I, uh, I love hearing impressions. Love them. Love them. Love them. Right on. You know, your impressions are what got you some acting gigs, sex in the city, um, King of Queens among others. Uh, and, and some of these, you, you know, like sex in the city, you know, I just saw a little snippet out there and you're not, you know, you're just, you're straight acting in that. Um, I didn't see the whole episode, so I don't know if there's any impressions, but, um, you know, I could see the, the King of Queens thing, you know, Kevin James and, you know, you're on there, you're doing the impressions in that episode, which by the way, I love a huge fan of that show. And it's an honor to have you on this, that, and the other radio show here. Um, but, uh, like sex in the city, you're just kind of doing some straight acting. Have you done a lot more of that? Is that something you want to do or you kind of just dig being called in to be the impression guy? No, I love doing acting on the TV show, Las Vegas. I was such a creepy, I did, uh, the show Las Vegas with, uh, Alec Baldwin and James Caan, where Baldwin and I robbed the casino together. And, and, uh, I was such a creep in that and such a, um, awful human being that um, greatest compliment was to have friends of mine call me up and say that they didn't recognize me and that they were creeped out by me. And um, I love, love, love being able to 
be something different than than who I am. Um, King of Queens was straight up uh, head writer for King of Queens, or one of the head writers, Mike Stosio, was just a fan of the Howard Stern show and said, hey, would you ever do sitcoms? I have an idea for you as a character on the show where you're just basically yourself. Yeah. And Kevin, Kevin's really jealous of you because he wants to be funny. He wants to be the guy making everybody laugh at work. And um, But Sex in the City came from me. Uh, well, the, the character had been written, and I was on the Howard Stern show talking about a breakup that I had gone through that I was really heartbroken over. And I was in a lot of emotional pain and talking about it on the air. And Gary, the producer of our show, uh, came up to me after and said, Hey, so, uh, so somebody from HBO is trying to get in touch with your show. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know what's going on, but apparently they want, they want to talk to you about fucking sex in the city, man. It's fucking crazy. And Bob so I called these people up, yep, and I called <laughs> these people and they said, Hey, um, we were listening to you on the Howard Stern show today, and we think that you would play a really good, insecure guy on Sex in the City based on the stories that you told today. And, uh, by the way, the guy has a gift. He has this gift. He's really good at performing this one sex act that is, um, that is so good that uh, Miranda mm-hmm. uh, reacts very strongly. Like, she just keeps exploding. She keeps exploding all over his face. And um, he's such a sensitive guy that he just wants to hold her and kiss her afterwards, which freaks her out because his face yeah. is all covered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and um, and so I auditioned for it, and uh, there was like six people in the room when I auditioned. And that night, I did a set at Stand Up New York that night, and all six people from the audition were in the crowd. And they said, hey, we just want to let you know that you're the guy. Um, we're going to, like, our job is to go to HBO with three to five actors for every character that we're auditioning. And then we go to HBO and say, here's the top three to five people we found for this role. Here's the top three to five people we found for this role. But for your character, we're only submitting you. Wow. So it's just, it's just a matter of HBO saying, okay, fine, and moving on. And, um, so, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they got me the role and first day on the set, I had to perform an obscene sex act with Cynthia Nixon for 19 hours, my first day on the set. So what, what's, what's the dynamic, you know, cause, uh, we see a lot of sex in TV and, you know, usually they're wearing like a pair of underwear or they're, you know, obviously good camera angles and, you know, there's no real true nudity unless it's like, you know, Cinemax. Does that even exist anymore? But how, how did you, and, and you know, I mean, did you get, I mean, do you get aroused? I mean, how does this all go down with this dynamic? Like, you know, Miss Nixon, I, I swear I'm going to be a perfect gentleman. You know, I haven't seen the scene, but I, I get the gist of what it is. How, how did you uh, pull that off? Did you get the gist? I got the did gist. You, right. Yeah, I got the gist. Um, <laughs> was uh and all legitimate points because i was so scared the night before about exactly that happening but i didn't get any sleep the night before i was physically exhausted by i got to the set not just because i didn't want to get excited when i was shooting those scenes but also because i had put on 35 pounds to do the show because we met at a weight watchers meeting okay and so they said you know we can't tell you to put on weight, but if you want to put on weight, you can put on weight. 
And I put on 20 pounds in a month, and then they shut down production for a month because uh, Sarah got pregnant. And they said, hey, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be down for, but we'll call you when we're ready to start shooting again. And I put on another 15 pounds by the time they called me. And so the time I get to the set, I'm so big and gassy <laughs> that I, I don't feel good about myself. I don't yeah. like what I'm looking at when I look in the mirror every day. And I think if I don't like what I'm looking at, she's going to hate this. And so I was really nervous. And they said, hey, um, I don't know how you want me to do this, but, you know, how, how do you want me to shoot these sex scenes? Because I'm supposed to perform on her. And she could not have been cooler. Cynthia was like, you know what? Just have fun, but keep your mouth, like, right here on the inside of my thigh. And I went, all right, well, let's do it. And then um, I kept my mouth on the inside of her thigh and uh but the way we were doing this like I, I i kept holding her close to me we were basically it was like an exhibition game i was doing everything i would have been doing except my mouth wasn't on the spot it was on her thigh i was gonna but ask my, that yeah i mean are you still kind of going through the motions but just on her thigh or are you just you know i feel like yeah, you have and, to and what's crazy that causes something to happen is my face continues to rub her like it's it's oh yeah yeah so so much so that after four or five <laughs> orgasm shots yeah i i could smell it and it was like and it wasn't a bad smell no. it was like it was like a, she's just reacting to everything and it got thicker and thicker with each take to the point when even when i was sitting up in bed and listening to the director, I could still smell it wafting underneath my nose. And I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I, was so, I was so worried that she was not going to be into this. And she was so into it that uh, I just felt comfortable. And I remember this weird thing happened. This really, really crazy thing happened where in between takes, I am trying to get to know her. Because my mouth is in her crotch like the entire day. And... So in between takes, I'm like, so uh, tell me about yourself. Uh, what do you, what do you, what do you like? Uh, what do you not like? And and I remember asking her, hey, so you have a kid in real life, right? Because we met at a Weight Watchers meeting when she had a kid on the show, and she goes, yeah, I have a kid in real life. And I go, so are you married or? And she goes, no, I've been dating this guy, and you know. I said, oh, how long have you guys been dating? And she goes, what is it like? 13 years and I was like you've been dating a guy for 13 <laughs> years oh my god and I was like what how's that going and she went it's whatever and she got knocked up that weekend wow. had a kid had a kid nine months later and made a big announcement and said I've just had a kid um and I'm leaving my man and I am a lesbian and all my friends were like dude you turned her gay <laughs> you turned her gay and i was like dude that's my kid if it wasn't for right? me that that's my if it wasn't for me that kid would never even exist so that is my kid yeah 
Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely. I, I call that. Uh, I, I I take credit. I, I, you should take credit for all of that. That's <laughs> think about agree one hundred percent. You know, whatever yes. whatever you're taking credit for, take credit for all of it. It's it's amazing. Uh, my that's a great story. I have not heard the full story of the Sex in the City. I just knew about it, but uh, that's that's a great story. I dig that. And also, I'm a huge fan of Las Vegas. I used to watch it all the time, and so now I, I got to go back and watch that episode so I can yeah. I can look out for you. Um, hey, before you know, what's funny by the way. Yeah, like, yeah. Can you Point out one thing about Las Vegas is yeah. that uh, uh, someone turned me on to um, Las Vegas. Put out a uh, a director's cut with every season, and they showed me that um, every season. They put out a director's cut of one episode from that season, and they would have a cast member doing commentary along with the director. Yeah, yeah. And on that first season that I was on, it's James Caan with the director, and and so they're watching my episode that I was on. And every time I come on, the director at the beginning goes, oh, and this is Craig Guest. He's a stand-up comedian. Oh, man, you got to listen to this guy. He's really funny. He does great impressions. And the scene plays out. I start doing an impression. And James Caan goes, wow, that guy's good. He's funny. And the director goes, yeah, you hung out with him. And he goes, oh, wow, I don't remember. And then another scene comes up where I show up and I'm doing an impression. And he goes, oh, this guy's great. And the director goes, yeah, you hung out with him like all day. And he goes, really? I don't remember. And then every time they show me, he keeps going, oh, God, I love this guy. This guy's great. Like, yeah, you like hung out with him for a week, and and he goes, I, I I don't remember. Like he just keeps insulting me over and over and over again. Like like yeah, dude, like he loved hanging out with you. Really, I don't even remember meeting him. Like oh, dude, it's <laughs> it's the greatest low key insult you could possibly have. Just James Con repeatedly being told like, oh yeah, dude, you fucking hung out with that guy. Are you sure? Because I don't remember. <laughs> he does not leave an impression at all. Like, Amazing. Yeah. When uh, are we bringing back the rock and roll roast? You've done uh, D. Snyder, Gene Simmons. We played a snippet of, and, and those are great. And and you know, obviously, these guys have to be good sports because you take some hits. I mean, everybody at a roast, even the people on the dais, are take like you're going out there swinging at everybody. Um, tell me a little bit about the roast and uh, and and sort of what the protocol is because it feels like it's just vicious, but obviously very funny and you know you always end the roast with how much you admire and respect and uh you know that you're happy to be a part of it it's because it's really a, a sign of respect to go up there and roast somebody um tell me about those well i think sometimes it gets lost in the weeds because sometimes people go up and just really really shit on somebody in a way just like, yeah, right dude this is just fucking brutal but uh but i've always you know the people that i've roasted are people that I really did love, and, and in the case of Corey Taylor, uh, was someone who I then later became friends with, and um, but admired him from a distance. And and uh, the roasts are, I mean, they're they're the most respected form of of the genre that uh, people know that it's uh, how hard it is. You can't rehearse it at all. You just you get one shot at it, and it's frightening because. If you stumble, holy shit, the rest of us are waiting to pick apart your corpse. Like, we have material ready for anyone to fail so that we can just jump on your dead body and destroy you. And you don't want to be that person. So it's a really frightening experience, but 
yeah, it's something that should be brought back. I mean, it's it's um, uh, as a format, it's something that we all love, and and these guys walk in like, dude, let's do this. Like, like Dean Snyder was so excited about it. Corey Taylor, as soon as we did it, it was at uh, Rock on the Range. They called it Roast on the Range, uh-huh. and as soon as we wrapped it up, I remember Corey be just being like, dude, I want to do that again right now like i want to start all over again right from the beginning and do that all over that was a fucking blast and it is it's 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 a lot of fun as long as you're not the guy you know tripping up what's interesting is how many people do those roasts whether they be comedy central roasts or the rock roasts who genuinely get their feelings hurt like dude at the roast of d snyder and you can see it clear as day on the video on YouTube. Everyone loves Lita Ford. Everyone fucking loves her. Yeah. And for some reason, and I don't understand where the mis- miscommunication is because people worked with Lita, sat her down and said, okay, here's some clips of some roasts. So this is what it's going to look like. And, and we're going to write some jokes for you. And this is what, you know, you can say this or this. And they let her pick out her material. Like, Oh, I like this. I think this is funny. And for some reason, Lita was not prepared for people to do jokes about her while she was there. And I could tell from the other side of the stage, I was sitting with Zach Wilde on the other side of the stage, and I kept looking over, and I noticed that every time somebody made a joke about Lita, she wouldn't, like, play along or giggle. Like, she would just kind of turn around and look at Scott Ian and just whisper in his ear. And, and I could tell, and I found out later, by the way, that Scott said... Lita looked at him and said, I'm going to leave. I'm just going to go. Oh, and, she, wow. and he goes, no, no, don't go. They're, they're waiting. Like, if anything, you're the girl. You're the one that, you know, guys are obviously going to make jokes about you. And all the jokes about you are going to be about you being a girl. So they're going to, like, exaggerate, like, whatever. You know, we have a, um, this is our token whore of the group. Whatever. You, you can make any kind of jokes you want. And... And then the audience is going to love for you to get up there and get us all back. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. And I, <laughs> I could sense that something was wrong. And again, watch the video. It's online. I walked up on to the, to the mic and I said, hey, by the way, before I even say anything, how about the fact that Lita Ford still looks fucking hot? And everyone was like, yeah. And that was like a real guttural like yeah 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 like gave a little shit like pointed to the audience like thank you and i said and by the way say what you want about any rock star lita ford fucked all the biggest rock stars of the 80s every single one of them she took them home and she fucked them and everyone's like yeah and i you'd think at least one of them would have helped her with her career right (laughs) and dude you can see it on her face she's just like so not having it and it was just it's a joke it is clearly a joke but man she she did not i, I yeah it was uh, i had to write her a note the next day to say hey listen you are loved everyone on that stage loved you and i just want to want you to understand that everything we're all just slapping each other around it was just all of us just taking the piss out of each other just having fun and i just want you to know that you are definitely Love them, and I'm glad that you were there. And and um, yeah, it was just uh, 
that was nuts. And that, that happens more often than you would realize that people get their feelings. Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, is there any line that can be crossed when you're doing a roast? I mean, cause you really gotta, you know, especially for the, the honored guests, you gotta go, listen, this is, this might sting, but just have a good time with it. I mean, cause I feel like some lines get crossed, you know? Well, that's so at every roast, there is usually some kind of note that the person who's at the center of the roast, the person who the roast is all about, will usually make a request like, hey, please, no jokes about this topic or that topic or whatever. Wow. I just, please don't. Like, at the roast of uh, Pam Anderson, they actually requested that nobody touch the subject of the kid that died in their backyard. There was a kid who died in a pool yeah, oh, that's at Tom, right. Tom and Pam. So they were like, please, no jokes about this. Please, no jokes about, you know, whatever. And so they'll... They'll put that line. I think at the roast of William Shatner, there was a thing about uh, William Shatner's wife who passed away. Like, uh, he didn't want any jokes about that. So, uh, that's usually uh, expressed explicitly. And then there's, <laughs> there's moments like, it was probably a bad idea to bring this up, but uh, the greatest moment I've ever seen in the... Actually, it might be the greatest moment I've ever witnessed in stand-up comedy history was my first ever roast was for Richard Belzer. Richard Belzer did a roast at Town Hall in New York City 20 years ago, and he was really, really kind to me and asked me on the air if I would be a part of it. So I got to perform at the roast of Richard Belzer. Wow. Gilbert Gottfried showed up, and <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried was not supposed to be part of the roast. He was invited to attend the roast, and they asked him if he'd like to sit on stage. And then when he showed up, they said, hey, Gilbert, so you're going to go on after Christopher Walken. And Gilbert said, but I'm not, I'm not prepared for this. I'm like, I'll just go up and just, you know, just say a few words. And that's a really fucked up thing to do to somebody because, you know, if, if we're going to do a roast about Troy, I'm going to do a roast about you. I, all my jokes have to be about something about you and, yeah. and you and that takes time like hey we're all in this room we all know troy all of us know troy we all know about his quirks and who he is as a person and and we're going to make jokes about you and everything about you you can't go up and do stand-up comedy you can't just be like you know it has like all my jokes and when it comes to richard belzer there's some material there like he's got one testicle his wife's a whore like there's some real, like, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so there's there's really good material there, but Gilbert wasn't prepared to do anything. So um, I'm in the basement of the theater with Gilbert and Jim Norton and Rich Voss, and Rich and Jimmy are giving him material. Like, oh, uh, you know, Richard Belzer's into UFOs. You could you could say this about UFOs. Uh, he's a recovering heroin addict. You could say this. You could say this. And then I remember mentioning like. Wouldn't it be funny if he just went up on stage and was completely disconnected from the entire thing and had nothing to do with anything? <laughs> and, and Gilbert goes, you know, I think you're right. And they introduced him on stage at the roast of Richard Belcher. They go, ladies and gentlemen, the next committee coming to the stage, please welcome Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert walks up and starts whispering to, to Richard, but it gets picked picked up by the microphone because he's close enough to the microphone that you could hear him say, 
I'll do the best I can. <laughs> and then he grabs the microphone and says, just insert the name Richard Belzer wherever you'd like. And he just did five minutes of pedophile jokes. It was like horrifying <laughs> pedophile jokes. Like none of it was funny. Oh Nobody was laughing. You could actually hear in an in, in a in a packed theater. You could actually hear audible gas coming from the audience. Like, oh my god! Like, there's people are getting offended by it. And then he stopped and said, "Okay, in closing, how do you get a homosexual to fuck a woman? You stuff her cunt full of shit. God bless you." And he got us. He got a standing ovation. I've never, he broke the back of the wow. audience. I've never seen that before in my life. So uh, there's a thing about really leaning into the discomfort yeah. that can be really rewarding if you just uh, embrace it. And uh, But man, was that an amazing moment, an absolutely amazing moment. And um, yeah, I, I always... Uh, I always think about that when when I think because uh, it, it, it was so inspiring. I don't even know what the question was. I think I just wanted to tell you a fucked up story. Yeah, no, but it was about the rose bringing the rose back, and can you really push that envelope? I mean, are there lines to be crossed? And I, you know, I didn't know that. I mean, obviously, it makes sense to go, hey, there's some topics, so have fun with me. But you know, let's these are you know innocent people, <laughs> leave them off limits, you know. But I, I love Correct. that story about Gilbert coming in and just like like a wrecking ball, you know. He's I mean, yes, man. You've you've done some uh, some. I mean, really some legendary things. I've been aware of you for a long time. Uh, like a lot of people from the Howard Stern show, I've been listening since, well, since he was, you know, promoting Snapple on my uh, public access TV, you know, back in the day, wow. you know, from the late 80s. But uh, I would change the channel if my mom came down the stairs because I thought I was watching something wrong with the you know, the Snapple girls in the bikini. But, you know, I, I've been listening to you be a part of the Howard Stern show. And that's how, you know, you got on my radar and I don't know. I don't know why we, why I have your number, you know, and it's, I was going to ask you what is, cause you're one of the coolest numbers I have in my Rolodex. What's one of the coolest phone numbers you have in yours? Uh, George, uh, Paul Stanley. Um, Paul actually will text me back every time I text him, but I don't text him very often. I, I only called him once, and it was the day after he gave me his cell phone number 20 years ago. And, and I was, I was jacked up on espresso and I, sometimes I'll, <laughs> espresso will hit me, you know, like I'll get euphoric, you know, from espresso. And, uh, I felt like I was really feeling myself when I called him up. And this is the only conversation I've ever had with him since I've had his phone number. He picked up the phone and he goes, hello. And I said, hi, Paul, this is Gene Smith <laughs> from Yes. <laughs> And Paul Stanley goes, okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and I started selling him Kiss products. Yeah, oh it was really God. ridiculous. But uh, Alec Baldwin, um, uh, I don't know. There, there's, there's definitely successful people will give me their phone number, and then I'll scroll through my phone, and I'll go, I don't want to call that guy. And I'll just, just say, I don't want to bother him. I don't know what I'm going to say to him. But, uh, um, but uh, you know, sometimes I'll... I'll I'll feel like I'm gonna reach. Like I've been doing these uh, promo videos because this this whole tour that I'm on is called the Where Have You Been Tour. Okay. Cause that's what I keep hearing from Howard Stern fans. It's like, dude, where have you been? Where have you been? So I've been getting all these musicians and comedians to record all these 
videos just saying like, hey, Craig, where you been? And I texted Joe Buck uh, from Monday Night Football yeah. about uh, a couple days ago. And I said, hey, Joe, I, I got this thing I'm doing. And it's like this tour. It's called the Where Have You Been Tour. And I'm getting comedians and musicians. And he was like, oh, easy. Yeah, you want me to do it vertical or horizontal? And I was like, shoot, horizontal. And I, I have an idea of how you would do it because you're so analytical. I just think you could do it like this. And he said, do you want... Troy Aikman to do it with me, he won't be offended if you say no. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's so awesome. I have to, I've got the Monday Night Football team doing a video for me that's going to be mixed in with the Goo Goo Dolls and George Lopez and Jerry Cantrell. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. Well, I'm stoked that as, people have been nice to me. As soon as I get off the air, I'll send you my video. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Craig, piece of shit. Right yeah, on. Dog. Craig Gass, it's been a gas to have you on the show. I've ke- I've kept you long enough. I do have a question. I, I but I mean I don't want to put you in the on the spot. But let me just give you a little background. Um, you know, on this little show that I do, this that and the other radio show here at Dirty Radio FM Channel Two, Dirty Radio Classics, live two to five on Wednesdays. Uh, you know, I just kind of do this that and the other. Growing up listening to Howard Stern, I you know I don't want to say bits, but there are certain you know I see stuff. Like, for example, when Andy Dick posted his phone number on Twitter, I called him, and I, I called him a, a couple of weeks, you know, just checking in on him. At one point, we raised $50. He was at the, he was at the beach in Venice, and he had not eaten, so we Venmoed him $50. So he And I called him. I said, hey, did you get the Venmo? And he was, like, on the beach, and he's eating hot dogs, and he was so appreciative, you know. So I, I see shit like that. Well, I saw somebody post their phone number on an article about uh, Motley Crue or something. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to call this guy, you know, and just see what his deal is. And he didn't answer. His voicemail was full. I'm guessing a bunch of other people are thinking, hey, let me call this guy because he's posting his number on, you know, like Blabbermouth or Facebook or whatever. And he he instantly uh, thought it was Gene and Paul. Now, this has been going on for a couple weeks now. and And he thinks that this is somebody from Kiss. Now, you can say no to this, but I wanted to see if you would be willing to talk to this guy. You want me to talk to him as Gene and Paul? Yeah. Uh, and what is it that he wrote about Motley Crue? Oh, wait, just something about, hey, Vince, I'm a big fan. Give me a call. So I called, and and it went straight to voicemail, and his mailbox was full, so I couldn't leave a message. So he proceeded to call me days later and left messages like thinking, insisting it's Gene and Paul. I have no idea why. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have Craig Gass on the air uh, in a couple weeks. I wonder if he'd be down for this. But you can say no. I don't, you know, if you're not down for it, it's all good. I think it's hilarious. We'll do it right now. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on a kiss tune. Let me dial him up and I'll put you on hold and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pipe him in. But I think it'll be even better if we get his voicemail because then we can just leave uh, a really obnoxious. And I, I know what the idea is, and I'm just going to cue you to hang up. All right. Okay. So cool. it, it, it'll just be, he'll hear a, a few seconds of Gene Simmons, and I will be full Gene <laughs> Simmons on it. Uh, all right. So let me, let me spin it. We're here at uh, DirtyRadio.fm, uh, Channel 2, Dirty Radio Classics, this, that, and the other radio show. Uh, got Craig Gass on the phone. We're going to give uh, this guy named Todd, is his name, a phone call. I'm going to put on a little bit of music here. I will cue him up. And then wh- what's my cue to hang up on this dude? Uh, I'll say hang up on him. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, cool. I think you know, I sent him a text just saying, hey, you know, uh, I, I didn't say I was from Kiss, but I said, 
I'm trying to arrange the phone call with either Paul or Gene. So anyway, so he knows what's up. So uh, okay, now when you get in, just say, uh, just say, hey, this is Troy. I have Gene Simmons on the line. He's ready to talk to you, and then I'll take it from there, and I'll make it very brief. And uh, and and again, the background is what is his name? Todd. Todd. Yeah. His name's Todd, and he wrote online. I'm a huge fan. Uh, and he was just asking for his favorite uh, artist to call him just to say hi. That's what he was posting. Yeah, well, he was trying to get Vince Neil uh, his attention. He goes, "Here's my phone number." So I screenshotted it. When I called him, he called back, left a message, thinking it's Paul and Gene for some. I have no idea why. Maybe he posts on multiple things, and he posted on the Kiss website and thought it was them. I will do something that will make him never question that it was Gene. <laughs> All right, hang on. So I'm going to put you on hold, Craig. I'm going to spin a little Tears Are Falling, just a snippet of it. Let me get this guy on the phone, and then I will uh, connect you guys. Okay, you got it. All right, stand by. All right, Craig Gass here. He's going to come on in just a second with uh, Todd, and uh, we'll see if we can get him on the phone. All right, hang tight. All right, we're calling Todd now. Try and connect him with uh, Gene. Hello? Yeah, hi, is this Todd? Yes, thank you. Hey, Todd, hey, my name's Troy, and uh, I've got Gene on the line. I'm going to connect you. I just want to let you know that you're live on uh, the air here and just want to make sure you know that. Okay, buddy? I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, I'm going to merge the call here and uh, just want to let you know that we've got uh, Gene Simmons from... Kiss on the phone here with Todd. As he was, you know, this is Todd. Indeed, it is. Hi, Todd. It's Gene. How are you doing, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to have Todd, I have a very important message for you. Okay? This is from me. This is from Paul Stanley. It's from everyone who's ever performed for KISS, including Vinny. And this message is exclusively for you, but it'll cost you. You need to go to kissonline.com and click on my card piece. And once the payment is approved, we're going to get you that message. Okay, Todd? How much will it cost, Chief? If you go to the website, you'll see the cost on there. It's at least a few grand, but you do it because you're a fan. Okay? Yeah, I'll take it out to see. All right, Todd. I'll see you online. And once the payment goes through, I'll tell you how much I like you. All right, hang up on him. All right. There, there you have it, folks. There you have it. Let me just call Craig back because I unfortunately had to disconnect both the calls. <laughs> That was brilliant. <laughs> Dude, that was hilarious. Dude, awesome. Unfortunately, I had to cancel both of the calls. Great. <laughs> the dude's online right now looking for a cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Craig, I want to thank you for coming on the show and doing that and uh, and, and having fun with us. And, man, I feel like we, uh, we, you know, you mentioned a couple times that we went out into the weeds a little bit, and sometimes uh, that's where you find the treasure. So I had a blast uh, getting to know you a lot more than I did before I called you over an hour ago. So I want to thank you for coming on my little uh, radio show. 
Thank you, buddy. I'm looking forward to next time. Yeah, for sure. So getgas.com is where we can find everything for all the dates. You're coming, you know, we were going to talk about your Vegas dates. Just real quick, when are you going to be at Jimmy Kimmel here in Las Vegas? Jimmy Kimmel's is next weekend, which is the 26th and 27th of January. This weekend, I'm at the Seasons Performance Hall in Yakima on Friday, Boston Nova Ballroom in Portland, Oregon on Saturday, Las Vegas the week after that, Fort Wayne, Indiana the week after that. Uh, then I go to Hawaii. I'll be in Maui at the Pro Arts Theater, shows in Tucson, uh, Detroit, all over the country, and back again to Australia. All the dates are at getgas.com, getgas.com with two S's.com for all the tour dates. And thanks for having me on, buddy. I'm looking forward to next time. Have a good one. Thanks so much, bro. See ya. You too. Hey, it's Troy Patrick Farrell from This, That, and the Other radio show. Tune in to This, That, and the Other every Wednesday, live from 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, here only at Dirty Radio Classics.